And we're going to have a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecies and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love flaunts not itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave itself improperly and it seeks not its own. Is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are prophecies, they shall fail. If there are tongues, they shall cease. And if there is knowledge, it shall vanish. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see as through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also am known. So now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's welcome Artie as he comes this evening. In the previous three services today, I wanted to acknowledge my own father, now in heaven, who was a man of prayer on his tombstone. He's buried in Fitzgerald, Georgia. It just says, a man of prayer. That's what Daniel was. I preached on Daniel the first three times today, but uh, I'm taking a different line tonight. But I still wanted to express before God and the angels and everybody my gratitude to my dad. I wouldn't be here today apart from his influence and his strong prayer life. My earliest memory of him was seeing him on his knees for 30 minutes every day before he went to work. Not many are like that, even in the ministry to this hour. And now, brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I would ask you, please, for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say is heard, received, and applied as you intend. And on my tongue that I'll be cleansed that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said and nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that this will be a word to bless your people, 
and will unenlighten on the subject that I feel I must deal with tonight. And may it bring you great honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. A.W. Tozer said, you can have as much of God as you want. And I've chosen as a subject tonight how to get more of God. I think I know. Now, if I were given the subject how to be sure that you will be healed, there may be some who would want to preach on that, but not me. I couldn't guarantee that I know how you'll be healed. If I were speaking on the subject how to make sure you will be prosperous, I couldn't guarantee that anything I would say would make you prosperous. But on this subject, I know how you can get more of God. But only if that is something you want. It could be that there is somebody here that's not on your uh, agenda at all. But if there's one person here you sincerely want to know how to get more of God, I've got the right message for you. Now, what does it mean, more of God? Well, quick answer, right to the point. It means more of the Holy Spirit. Well, you say, well, that's rather strange. No. Paul talked about our being filled with the Spirit. And he said this to Christians who had the Holy Spirit. The Ephesians, they were Christians. They had the Holy Spirit. But he talked about being filled with the Spirit. And that is a different dimension. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, there's a reference to Peter filled with the Spirit. In one moment, it was as though the Spirit just came on him for a second or two. That can happen when you are given just what you need. I never will forget a story Colin Dye related to me. It wasn't a, a story, maybe it's the wrong word. Some years ago, he was in Brazil, staying in a hotel, and he said there was a moment when he simply walked from one room to the next, and in a split second, he had the greatest sense of God that he's ever had. And he said it was so wonderful, it was so real, he said for that split second... I would have endured anything, anything for that moment. And he referred to what they've gone through, as you probably know, with Laura, their girl who was born with a defect, never walked or talked, and always in nappies. And it was not easy for Colin and Amanda. But he said, all that we went through, I would have endured it all for that split second. What will heaven be like? But it will be like that nonstop throughout eternity. But on our way to heaven, uh, how can we come to the place that we get more of God? And that's what I'm interested in. Uh, now, it means more knowledge of God's word and his ways. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. 
Knowledge of what? Two things. God's word and God's ways. His word, as some of you will recall, can be understood in two dimensions. There are two Greek words translated word. One is rhema, one is logos. Now, sometimes they're used interchangeably, and for that reason, you don't want to push the distinction too far. But generally speaking, logos would refer to scripture. Rhema to a prophetic word, word of knowledge. And it seems to me, in many places where I preach, they're only interested in a rhema word. Uh, they want something right now. They find a prophetic person, and they go up to them and say, have you got a word for me? As if they can just make it happen. Uh, they, and I remember watching a TV program, and the man said, don't turn that dial. I have a rhema word for you. Oh, boy, this must be great. But people, that's what they want. It's like those who prefer to go to McDonald's or Burger King. And they're in a hurry. They want something right now. And I'll tell you something. I can make a prediction. Chase after a rhema word, and you will not get it. Seek God in his holy word, his scripture, and he'll give you a rhema word when you need it. The question is, how much do you know the Logos, Scripture? And this is mainly what is meant by knowing God's Word. How well do you know God's Word? There was a day when, I would say, 50 years ago, many laymen knew the Bible as well as any minister. The day of Scripture memorization seems to have perished from the earth. How many of you bother to memorize scripture? How well do you know God's word? And as for his ways, this refers to getting to know what he's like. And how do you get to know anybody's ways? It is by spending time with them. That's how you get to know anybody's ways. My wife knows my ways. And those that spend time alone with God get to know his ways. So I'm dealing with the subject, how to get more of God. And I've already told you a little bit. Seek him in his word. Spend time in prayer. How much do you pray? All right. Why is this word tonight important? Well, I need to say, first of all, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You can read up on a subject, and you can read uh, about the Grand Canyon in Arizona, for example, and look at the photos and see exactly what it looks like. But then when you go to the Grand Canyon, and Louise have had, and I have had the privilege of doing that once, uh, you're just not prepared for what it is like. And there are th those who know a lot about God, but they don't know God. And this is important because a sermon is what I'm doing. Some would prefer to call it a talk. I don't mind. A message. But I should want to convey 
not only what the Scriptures teach, but I want to convey God. And if I don't convey God, I don't consider I have done a good job at all. It's not enough that I just say something, oh, that was good, give us something to think about. No, I want you to sense God as I speak, or I have come short of what is my calling. Another reason this is an important word, the church today is existing largely without God. You've heard it said by more than one, if the Holy Spirit were completely withdrawn from the church today, 95% of the work of the church would go right on as if nothing happened. Or to tell you that story of the Chinese pastor who came to America and was given a tour of the major churches in America. He saw the super churches, the big churches. And at the end of the tour, they asked this Chinese pastor, what is your view of American Christianity? His reply, I am amazed at how much you accomplish without God. Why is this word important? It's because Christians can continue day by day by common grace and not by the direct witness of the Holy Spirit. By common grace, I'm talking about God's goodness to everybody, but that's a creation gift. We all have a certain gift, but it's not because you're a Christian. You have a talent for mathematics or you've got a singing voice, you're good in science, you're good in law, uh, that's not because you're a Christian. That's the way you were made. And because we're given natural abilities, a person, after they become a Christian, can carry on and they sense in themselves that they're doing God's will. And it all can always have, if we're not careful, a natural explanation. All right, the question is, how do we get more of God? And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The first thing I would say, and this is a follow-up, you could say an application to the School of Theology of Friday night. How do we get more of God? And that is, we need to desire equally the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I think it's very well known. This is not a controversial point. This is not debatable. It's just a fact that there are spirit people, Pentecostals, Charismatics. They're interested in the gifts of the Spirit. There are word people, like traditional Baptists, Presbyterians, they're interested in the fruits. And we have in America more though over there than here. Because in America, you might like to know that the charismatic movement is considered the lunatic fringe of Christianity. Did you know that? 
Over here, it's the mainstream. Over here, it's destigmatized. Uh, it's just, that's the way it is. I have my theory on why that is. It doesn't matter. The point is, in Britain, mainstream charismatic movement. When I go back to America, I can tell you now, charismatics are looked at as the lunatic fringe. And evangelicals, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Episcopalians, they look down on charismatics and Pentecostals. They've got no time for them. And many of them are cessationists, that they don't even believe that the gifts of the Spirit are available. But they are interested in the fruits of the Spirit. What's the difference? Well, the gifts of the Spirit are sovereignly given, as we saw Friday night. There's no command to have a particular gift of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, however, there is a command. We are all called to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. Well, word people are strong on that. And oftentimes, the charismatics, they know about the fruits. It's not that they're against them, but their preoccupation is to have a gift of, of prophecy or miracles. And, of course, they all speak in tongues. Well, here's what Paul said in the passage that Bruce just read. He said to desire eagerly the greater gifts. Now, that shows right there that of the various gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, some are greater than others. Uh, you'd have to admit that the gift of wisdom or the gift of healing miracles. I would say that's a greater gift than tongues or that level because tongues was what was so popular in ancient Corinth and they saw it as a sign of spirituality. And this is where many charismatics are today. They see tongues as proof of their spirituality. You need to know this doesn't prove your spirituality at all. You can speak in tongues and be unspiritual. As a matter of fact, you can have the gift of prophecy. It proves nothing. Never forget that King Saul, who was given the gift of prophecy, on his way to kill David, started prophesying. And it says earlier that God left Saul. God left Saul. And two chapters later, he's prophesying. You see, there are those today, because of a certain gift, they take it as a sign that God is with them. Proves nothing, because the gifts, they're not a gauge of how much you have of God, although it's part of it. So I say to word people, you need to be open to the gifts and desire the greater gifts. Well, this could be called a godly ambition earnestly desiring the greater gifts. And this is a way to get more of God. The willingness to do what it takes to get more of God. Now I know I've talked to many of the people in, in the word churches, Baptists, Reformed, Presbyterian, and they always make a big deal of how 
Tongues is at the bottom of the list. There are nine gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Starts out with wisdom, faith, knowledge, prophecy, miracles, so forth. At the bottom is tongues. And so word people want to make a big deal of that and say that's not the most important thing. But they don't like it when I say to them, but you know, the gift of tongues is the only gift that challenges your pride. And they don't want to speak in tongues. For one thing, it's embarrassing. Another thing, people will say, yuck. And they don't want to be seen like that. And I say to them, do you want more of God? And they say, well, of course. Then if you really do, start at the bottom. No, they say, Paul said, covet earnestly, desire earnestly the greater gifts. I reply, if you really desire the greater gifts, you'll take the smallest, the least, and the one that is most embarrassing to show how much you want the greater gifts. It can be very humbling because at that level, you see, it becomes an issue of whether you want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So humility is the way forward. Now, this verse that says, desire earnestly the greater gifts, and then he says, I will show you the most excellent way. Now, scholars interpret this verse in basically two ways. One is to say that Paul is going to show that love is greater than all the gifts. And there's no doubt that's the meaning of 1 Corinthians 13. But many scholars point out that the Greek can be interpreted very accurately to mean if you eagerly desire the greater gifts, the way forward to get them is by practicing love. Now, whereas the gifts of the Spirit are sovereignly given, and you can't command them, and God gives them, if you really would like to have the greater gifts, Paul says, try this as the way forward. And if you want more of God, then he says, are you aware that you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and you can do it without love. You can have the gift of prophecy. You can understand mysteries. You can do it without love. You can even give, in, you can give your body to the, uh, to the flames and give all you have to the poor, and you can do it without love. And then he begins to describe love. And then the, some of the things he talks about gets close to the bone. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So we back right into the teaching of total forgiveness. And if you want the greater gifts and you really do want them, then how much do you want them? Love is a choice. 
What Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, God is not going to knock you down. Or if you go on a 40-day fast and hope that at the end of 40 days, he's somehow going to inject you with love. No, it's a choice. And you take this issue of keeping no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? To prove we've paid. Why do we keep a record of wrong? So we can use it against the person. And so the husband says to the wife, I will remember that. And sure enough, about four days later, he quotes back. It works both ways. The wife says to the husband, I won't forget that. I know what you said. I will never forget that. Keeping a record of wrongs. How much do you want more of God? Are you willing right tonight to look at the record of wrongs? The things that you harbor in your mind where you've kept records and you know what they've done. You know what they've said. And you keep that record. How much of God do you want? Here's some advice. Write out on a sheet of paper what they have done. I did that once. I was on holiday and I got to thinking of a particular person who has said this and done this and I wrote down and I can tell you about 22 or 23 things that I'd written out. And I just kept it because I intended to use them. And then one day, God said to me, take that sheet of paper and burn it up. I thought, oh dear, this is the only evidence I, this is, I need, I mustn't forget this. this I, burn it up. Do I have to? Do I matter, RT? How much do you want of me? And I literally burnt that sheet of paper. Here's the proof. You want more of God? Love is the way forward. Back in 1974, Louise and I and TR and Melissa toured Europe. We went to Switzerland. We went into Germany, came through Holland, and I went to the uh, jewelry store famous, made famous by Corey Ten Boom. Because if you've read, uh, you know, I'm telling a story. Does anybody here know who Corey Ten Boom is? Not many. It's amazing how quickly... It's a new generation. Her family protected Jews in World War II. It's an amazing story. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place, and she was an icon, a legend. And I went to the jewelry store because in that store is the room where they hid nine Jewish people. And the authorities would come looking for them. They'd go all over the house. They couldn't find what was called The Hiding Place, and we got to see it. And then I went to the manager. I said, does anybody ever get to meet Corey Ten Boom? Not often. Everybody wants to meet her. Who are you? Well, I'm just an American student at Oxford, and I just love to meet her. Well, he called her, and he came back, gave me the address, said, she's waiting for you. So Louise and I and T.R. and Melissa went, 
got to meet Corey Tamboom, and uh, she was a very blunt person. <laughs> I don't think she'd give uh, an award for diplomacy. And she says, "Why do you want to meet me?" Well, I'd like you to pray for me. What do you want me to pray for? Well, I, Corey, I'm I'm uh, studying at Oxford and. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. All these smart people, and I come from Kentucky, and our educational system was at the bottom, and, and uh, I'm with all these bright students, and I found out that the casualty rate of those who want the degree I'm after is 50, 50%, and I, I'm so afraid that I'm not going to make it. And she just stopped. She said, Heavenly Father, show this man that he doesn't need the prayers of Corey Ten Boom. Then I said to her, Corey, someone told me you're charismatic. And back then, this was rare, because today it's not a stigma. It was then. Are you charismatic? She said, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, but do not forget 1 Corinthians 13. I knew exactly what she was saying to me. And the way to the gifts, if, if they haven't come and you say, I know they're sovereignly given. Is there any way, maybe, maybe I could come into some of these greater gifts? My reply, be willing to start at the bottom or take the example of those in the body of Christ, some of the head, some of the hand, some of the eye, some of the feet. And there are those parts of the body that you never see, the intestines, the pancreas, the kidneys. Well, many people want to be the head or the eye, prominence, high profile. You've got to be willing to be a nobody with no profile. Are you willing to be that in the body of Christ where you are not known? Well, this is a way to get more of God when it's not profile you want. Because I think, if you're not careful, one of the reasons you want more of God, and I speak to myself, I have to be totally honest, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that my desire for more of God is totally spiritual. Because I think it would give me a greater anointing, means I could preach better. And I want to preach better. And I know that if I preached better, I'd feel better. And I would think, I'm beginning, you know, to do what I've always wanted to do. That is not entirely spiritual. That can be carnal to the core. And this is something God has been operating on me about in recent years. So, the willingness to be a nobody, and you still want to know God. This is why love is the way forward. This is why Corey Ten Boom said, don't forget 1 Corinthians 13. That is what we mean by fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. You start out with love. At the head of the list, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells you what that is. And so it can be that you've got to be self-effacing. You've got to be a nobody. You've got to tear up that record of wrongs. You've got to stop pointing the finger. It means 
totally forgiving those who have hurt you. And it means praying for those who have hurt you. And when you pray for them, you don't just bow your head and say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you. When you're hoping God will kill them. <laughs> no, Jesus said, bless your enemy. And you literally pray for God to bless them. To bless them. Are you willing to do that? RT, I'm not sure I am. You see, how to get more of God? It is when your goal is to be more like Jesus. Anybody have a goal like that? To be more like Jesus? I've been thinking a lot lately about a little song that I thought that he wrote it. Uh, I'm told he didn't write it, he just sang it. Gypsy Smith of the early 20th century. And he made popular this song. I, I grew up with it. If you know it, would you sing it with me? You'll probably start out with the first line or two. Here we go. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. Oh, the Spirit divine, may I truly be thine till the beauty of Jesus is seen in me. You see that? No. Okay. Because you clapped, I'm not going to sing another verse. There are two more verses. But I, I've made my point, I think. I, I have to tell you, you want more of God. If you want more of God, you aspire to be more like Jesus. Well, now here's the thing. How to get more of God? Aspire to know God for his own sake, not yours. Uh, you want to know God not for what it will do for you, not for what it will do for you, but that you might know him better. And by the way, if you get to know him better, it's something you're not going to blab to the world. Because if you develop such a desire to have more of God, do you know what Psalm 25 says? He will confide in you. The King James Version says, the secret of the Lord the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. What's the secret? You don't tell it. Not many people can keep a secret. They can't. They've got to tell it. I used to ask them at Westminster Chapel, how many of you could have tea with Her Majesty the Queen and keep quiet about it? 
I used to want to, to reach and meet Nelson Mandela. I'd have to say, if I'm totally honest, if I'm totally honest, I wanted to meet him more than anything in this life. Next, maybe to getting my doctorate at Oxford. I so wanted to meet him. I think, in my opinion, the greatest man who ever lived outside those described in Holy Scripture. And I wanted to meet him. I was on my way, a plane from Johannesburg to Cape Town. I was to go to the government offices and had an appointment with Frank Shikani, the man closest to Mandela. Everybody said, if you want to get to Mandela, get to Shikani. I got to him. But on the way, my Bible reading that day, my Bible reading that day, Seekest thou great things? Seek them not. I knew right then God wasn't in for me to meet Nelson Mandela. And then I had to ask, why did I want to meet him? Could I meet him and never tell it? What was my motive? And I could see my motive was so wrong. It was so wrong. I wanted to be able to tell I met him. Here's the thing. What if God were to confide in you? That means you're not supposed to tell it. You can't tell anybody. It's a secret. The problem with many of us, if we have some special insight, revelation, experience, we've got to go tell somebody. You see, Joseph had the dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. And the dreams were of God, but he couldn't resist, he couldn't keep it quiet. He had to tell his brothers. A stupid thing to do. That's why he nearly got killed. But that, you know, I think God would show us things, reveal himself to us. If we could keep quiet about it, do you want more of God? Are you willing for him to take you into his presence and where you get to experience him in a way that only the prophets of the Old Testament experienced? And you realize how honored you are. But could you keep quiet about it? How much do you want more of God? And suppose in the unlikely event there's someone here tonight, you are in ministry, have been, and you have fallen. This is a day when, sadly, hardly a week goes by, in America at least, that some pastor, high-profile person, doesn't get found out for some sexual behavior. Pastors, preachers, TV preachers, falling right, left, and center. Could it be somebody like that here, or maybe hear this talk eventually, and, and you would like to be restored? I've written a book called Second Chance. 
I believe such people can be restored on one condition. Is it that you want to get right with God or do you just want your ministry back? If it's only your ministry you want back and that's why you want to get right with God, turn in your badge. You're disqualified. And so the point is, why do you want more of God? And here's the thing that grips me. And I'm not sure I could say it. I could say it. I'm not sure I mean it. I hope I mean it, but maybe I just think I do. When the Apostle Paul explained really what he wanted more than anything in the world, he talked about his background, his pedigree. Uh, you talk about being gentry bred or the equivalent of that. He said he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. And he, he talks about all these things that would qualify him. And Paul could say, you know, whatever that is, it was, it was for the sake of Christ. I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. And he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may know him. Wait a minute, Paul. I thought you knew the Lord. I thought you knew the Lord. Oh, he would say, not like I want to know him. Not the way I want to know him. You see, the knowledge of Christ is so fulfilling in itself that you don't need to tell anybody. You just enjoy it. You just enjoy it. But is your motive so you can tell it? My last point how to get more of God. That is, if you can rejoice in suffering or what I call dignifying the trial. James says, count it pure joy when you fall, not when you go looking for trials, but if you fall into the trial, you qualify and if you can dignify that trial, what that means is you, you don't complain. You don't murmur. You don't try to get it over with. You just let it have its own built-in time scale because all trials have a built-in time scale and they will end. You don't know when they will end. The question is, while it lasts, can you say, it's okay. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Dignifying the trial Rejoicing that God would trust you with a major trial. And the reason he does it is because he's not finished with you yet. And the reason he does it is to see if you can face suffering or persecution or criticism and keep quiet about it that you might know him.
I think I've said enough. Love talks about bearing all things, enduring all things. That's, that's what love does, enables you to put up with these things. And if you seek after the fruit of the Spirit with that intensity, God may just land you one day with the gift of wisdom or miracles. where he does what you read in the book of Acts about. He might do it. The issue is how much do you want more of God? A.W. Tozer said you can have as much of God as you want. I think he's right. Right.